Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. You know, if you've listened to me before, you know I am from West Virginia. It's a state that I love. I really love the people in West Virginia. They they really work together. I love the mountains are absolutely beautiful. Uh, the both the hills and the valleys, the water, but particularly the air. With all of those trees, the air is just wonderful. But you know, West Virginia is probably the poorest state that we have, or is one of the poorest. A lot of opioid going on. There's no jobs, and people like me, we left. I left as soon as I could after I graduated from Bluefield State College. And today, to talk about West Virginia, we have another a fellow West Virginians from Bunker Hill, West Virginia, who now lives in Morgantown, and where she worked for West Virginia University and the Center for Resilient Communities. Good morning, Amanda. Amanda Marple, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Vernon. Thank you so much for having me today. And I just want to say ditto on all of those things about West Virginia. I love this state so much that I stayed, uh, (laughs) even after (laughs) contemplating leaving for a while. But uh, that crisp morning mountain air is amazing. I hope you're well this morning, too, Vernon. I'm excellent. Thank you. Thank you. For me anymore is waking up. You're probably 45 years my junior, so we have perhaps a little different perspective. I uh, I graduated from high school in '65 at Bluefield High School in Bluefield State in 1970, so that's a little bit before you were born. And I've always looked for ways of of coming, how I could come back there and make a decent living and contribute to the community. And and, and had, was doing that as of five years ago, still looking, and I thought I'd found a way, but it didn't work out, of starting a business down there in Bluefield. So what do you do? I got that you work for the Center for Resilient Communities, but what do you, what do, you do? So, like you said, I work at the Center for Resilient Communities, and uh, at the center, I'm the education and outreach director, but I also head up a learning laboratory, uh, a research lab called the Community Economies Lab, in which we we research and we work with folks who are working in the the cooperative world, uh, working on collective ways of doing business, building community, and really looking at how folks use cooperation and use all sorts of diversity in an economic landscape to build community wealth and to build just and and dignified jobs. I have a background in in food and food justice, so that really kind of shoots through a lot of my, my work as well with the Community Economies Lab. And we do a lot of uh, organizing with rural communities in order to, you know, build greater food access or to really look at what the root causes of food insecurity and and the lack of food access in those communities are. So my close friend, Michael Peck, who I consider a brother, introduced me to you. And you two have something very similar. You just said a mouthful, (laughs) two mouthfuls. (laughs) 
in, in one sentence. So my job in this conversation is to try to unpack what all you just said, and we'll try to go back to it because you've just you've just outlined in this first sort of answer of why I like co-ops, uh, building community wealth, diversity. Uh, that gets to the first principle of, of cooperation, which is co-ops are open to everybody and anybody, no matter what their gender, what their race, political affiliation, religion. It just doesn't matter. If it's a co-op, it's open to anybody. And building wealth is a part of it. You put a little money in, and the first profit, you get a share of that profit. And try to do a living wage on top of that. So, yeah, I, I like co-ops. And working together, using each other's skill sets, this collective world you talk about. Tell us about your learning laboratory. That's interesting to me. What What is that about? So, through the, the community I, economy lab. I, really, I really wanted some examples of what are some of the research you do in that. Yeah, yeah. So um, most recently, we just completed a project with the West Virginia Food and Farm Coalition on building a toolkit and examining the landscape of alternative grocery models throughout West Virginia, whether that be cooperative grocery, whether that be buying clubs, but just really looking at and, and working with folks who are doing grocery differently in rural and urban settings in West Virginia. So that's just one project that we had completed with a partner organization, also working with some folks in Charleston as well. Well, now I want to talk about that one. So this this alternative grocery stores, and then we'll go to the one in Charleston. So what is, what were the conclusions that you made, and were you able to start any alternative grocery stores, any co-ops or buying clubs? So what we're trying to organize around after this toolkit comes out is looking at how do we how do we build more cooperation amongst grocers in West Virginia? So there are a couple of folks. There's folks in, in Huntington right now looking to build cooperative grocery uh, in their communities. There are a couple of other folks around the state of West Virginia who are looking at the cooperative model to you know address some of their food access issues in their communities. But really, something that we found coming out of this this process and and, uh, and working with folks is the need to really create a coalition of alternative grocers or independent grocers to work together to address economies of scale in purchasing. So how do we support grocers, alternative and independent grocers, in accessing the same economies of scale as like Kroger's or or Walmart? Um, What we also found, too, throughout this project and work that we've been doing at the center for a number of years is is looking at how um, corporate grocers really dictate the landscape of of food accessibility in rural communities and communities across the United States. As an example, in in McDowell County a couple of years ago, the only grocer was a Walmart, and they decided that it was no longer profitable for them to be there. So a whole county in southern West Virginia was left without a grocer, was left without access to affordable and appropriate grocery options. And so how do we address that? How do, how do we address and, and take control and take power back in our food system? And one thing that we have been advocating out at the center and through the Community Economies Lab is the need to establish more cooperative, alternative, and independent grocers throughout West Virginia. And one thing that is really needed is a coalition of, of grocers to come together to advocate for policy that is advantageous to building independent and alternative grocers. And also, again, accessing, you know, buying power 
how do we get a cooperative grocer buying network together throughout the state so folks who are purchasing in the northern part of the state also, you know, can, can tap into folks who have product in the, in the southern part of the state and how do we share our resources uh, amongst various grocers. So that's kind of an outcome of, of where we want that to go after. And uh, working with an organization called the Turnrow Appalachian Farm Collective to really work out some of the distribution logistics and how that might work on a statewide scale uh, in the coming years. So McDowell County is next to Mercer County, and those are the two <laughs> counties. My grandmother lived in McDowell County, and all her f- sisters and my nieces and nephews, I mean cousins, and uh, m- my father, grandfather lived in uh, Mercer County. So I'd go back and forth down to McDowell County, Welch and Warwick, Excelsior, Kimball, all of those places in, in McDowell County. And everybody left. All of my family members, there's no family members there in McDowell or Mercer. Everybody left to Detroit, Chicago, D.C., all over California because of this, the poverty and no jobs. And now there's mm-hmm. no food. And McDowell County has perhaps the worst opioid problem that there is. And I get, and maybe you can tell me if you hear, see any of this, that this opioid or drug problem comes when there's no hope. There's no job. There's no place. To, education is poor. And then people just medicate. And that, that is, I don't want to hear how bad bad is, so let's uh, medicate ourselves and you get addicted. So what have you found in these counties and stuff or if you got these food stores, these grocery stores are building wealth, what that might do with this opioid problem? Um, you know, so really, I think like, you know, community grocers and having access to affordable and quality foods is, I think, is important for communities to be healthy across the board. And that includes providing, you know, those products and opportunities to folks who are experiencing addiction. There's also an opportunity for community grocers to employ folks as well. That's, you know, Vernon, you hit on that as well. Um, many counties in West Virginia are experiencing poverty because of the flight of industry, whether, you know, and, and most of that is extractive industry, such as such as coal and timber. West Virginia has a long history of being kind of at, at the hands of extractive industry. And, and having folks who live in, in West Virginia, their bodies being on the line in these, in these very labor-intensive jobs as well, which leads to um, folks being prescribed opioids through doctors and then leads to an all sorts, you know, an explosion of, of, of issues related to that. But coming back to, to grocery, I think that, you know, community grocers can be a heart of the community as well and be a, a place where community cohesion comes comes in and, and folks can rally around having a community grocery that's really responsive to their needs. You know, one thing that um, our community grocer, Mountain People's Co-op in Morgantown does is um, they really hold true to principle seven for the community. So how do you utilize, you know, um, how do you how do you fundraise? How do you work with your community members to actually put put money into and capitalize organizations or programs that are addressing you know, issues in your community, such as opioid addiction. Um, And they've really been holding true to that and and doing a lot of fundraising and putting money back into the community through various, like, Register Roundup programs or doing fundraising programs. Um, So I think that, you know, particularly on this end, community grocers have the ability to pull folks together. 
Wonderful. We know we've got it off to a great start, and I think uh, we're going to take our first break here in a second or two. But just summing up, and there's so much to talk about in this wonderful state, which total beauty, environmental beauty, that you talked about extractive industries, that these industries will come in and take out the timber, take out the coal, mess up the beauty of it, and create environmental issues and break people's bodies and backs and so forth and then leave take the money and go flight and that leaves the state in very very bad shape so amanda marple is our guest today and we'll come back after the break and we'll talk more about these circumstances uh situations in west virginia and we'll get into more detail about how to cooperate cooperatives may be a solution we'll be right back please don't touch that dial Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we have Amanda Marple on the uh, line with us today from Morgantown, West Virginia. And Amanda works in the Center for Resilient Communities at West Virginia University. And we were talking about the community lab that they have, the learning laboratory, and one of the projects is working all around food and food access and creating businesses that can create both employment for folks in West Virginia. It can provide healthy foods and it can create wealth, both social and financial wealth. That's why I like co-ops. And they can, which we were talking about right before the break, the seventh principle is give back to the community, is care for the community. Amanda, what I like to go back to, and I want to come back to your center, but what's your education? What kind of education did you get? So I actually uh, came to WVU as an undergraduate and got a bachelor's degree in geography. I then went on to get a master's degree in geography, specifically focusing on uh, cooperative economies, diverse economies, and student organizing with, with co-ops on college campuses. So I am West Virginian through and through um, and have, uh, yeah, so that's a bit about my educational background. But how, geography, I'm just curious because uh, cooperative economy is economy. Co-ops are businesses. Uh, student organizes more on society. And how does geography, I think of geography as looking at maps and figuring out where places are. How does geography fit into this? So I love geography so much because you can integrate economies, you can integrate sociology, you can integrate social movements, all sorts of things you can apply a geographic lens to. So I was really attracted to geography when I was an undergraduate because I saw it as an avenue for me to participate in you know, a field of study that I think was, was encompassing of, of a lot of issues that I was really passionate about as an undergraduate. You know, and then getting a master's in geography, I was able to explore, wow, look at all of the other lenses that, that we can shoot through this, this discipline. So one way that I got introduced to a field of economic geography is looking at supply chains. So all economies happen in space. And there's a spatial component to economies, whether that be global, you know, national, local, regional, there's a spatial element to that. Also, economic interactions happen in place. 
space and place are two huge themes in geography that, you know, we analyze what happens in those spaces and places. What are the, the social components that happen in those places and spaces? And, and through that, you know, I've also been introduced to a field of geography called the, you know, community geographies, um, which is really looking at how folks build community wealth and looking at how folks uh, interact with, um, you know, their, their neighbors, their communities, but also the environment around them to build worlds and communities that are just and, and dignified. So geography is an interesting kind of approach to this work, but I think it's all encompassing because it also allows us to, um, to bring in all sorts of other disciplines into that as well. It's political science. It's, it can be biology. It can be, you know, physics. It can be all sorts of everything, but you just put that place and space lens on it. And there's an, an opening to um, all sorts of ways to critically think about uh, how our economies work. Wow. Okay. Okay. And so you said you're from Bunker Hill. Mm-hmm. Is, is that right close to 81, Interstate 81? Oh, yeah. Just a, I could probably throw a rock and hit 81 uh, from where my house was growing up. So I see you're two and a half hours driving distance from West Virginia U. Mm-hmm. So how did you end up going to West Virginia U? Did you get scholarships or something? or? No, I, I didn't get any scholarships to go to WVU, but it was absolutely the most affordable option for me as, um, you know, as a high school student. I grew up in a, in a very working class family. So that was always something that was on my mind is how am I going to afford to pay for college? Uh, how, how is this going to be easily accessible to me? And not necessarily easily accessible, but it was the most affordable option. And, you know, that's how I found geography as well uh, in the amazing geography program that's at WVU. Um, so that was really my decision. It was it, it boiled down to how can I afford to go to college? Okay, so are you the first person in your family? You say you're working class family. Are you the first one in your family to go to college? Yes. Yes. Both of my parents completed high school, and so I'm the first one of my, my direct family there to, um, to go to college. How many siblings? I have two other siblings. So, and funny enough, they're both at WVU right now. So it's so strange. All of my siblings are in Morgantown now. So I have a a younger brother who just started his freshman year here. uh, And I have an an older brother who is going back to school. So you you are the model? You're the one that's sort of uh, (laughs) helping them to see that what they can do? I think that they both have their own track, but maybe I do set some sort of kind of stable example for them. Uh, and they always have a resource at WVU, too, to tap into with me. So, um, you know, I'm a big family person, so I do love being able to be here uh, for my folks who are who are here. And what do your parents think about you? Are they proud of their only daughter? Oh, my God, I would hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, there's some times where I think that, I get some strange looks of, what are you talking about space and place and geography for? <laughs> you know, um, but I think for the most part, they're pretty proud of me. I'm, I'm you know, first person to go to college and, and to get, you know, a graduate degree as well. And, you know, I'm able to fend for myself out here in the world now. But uh, I think that especially on my mom's side, there's some vicarious living through me as well as, you know, she was unable to go to college herself. Okay. So 
you came from working class family, first one to go to school, and then you you've got this sort of you got this big view of the world, uh, particularly of West Virginia and what can happen in West Virginia, and you you are in a position to make change to really really help a lot of people. Uh, how does that feel towards you? How does that make you feel? I mean, hopeful and, and optimistic. I don't, you know, obviously I don't think that um, I have the capacity to make any sort of large change on my own, but I feel very fortunate to also be connected to networks in West Virginia and with folks who are doing really amazing work throughout the state on, you know, building cooperative economies and, and building a different future for folks in West Virginia. You know, as I said in the introduction, you know, I, I decided to stay in West Virginia, which is um, a commitment for sure, especially going through, you know, high school and, and college and, and seeing a lot of my friends and peers who were from West Virginia leaving and going on to other things, you know, throughout that time also was like, well, I'm going to leave West Virginia too, because I don't think that there is opportunity for what I want to do here. And through, you know, going to school and, and, and mentorship from amazing folks on, on the WVU campus, was able to see a path forward for being able to stay here and do work um, that I believe is, is, is necessary and needing um, or and needed for my West Virginia community. As you had said, West Virginia is one of the poorest states in the nation. Uh, we have um, one of the oldest populations in the entire nation as well. So building opportunities for young folks to stay is another um, big part of why I do the work that I do. We need folks to stay in West Virginia to build communities, you know, livable, equitable, dignified communities for, for all of us. And we need young folks here as well. So that's how I see cooperatives as also being an avenue to encourage folks to stay and build these really awesome, you know, democratic and, you know, unique and, and able to adapt to various, you know, outside crises, that being an avenue for, for young folks to get excited and to stay and to really build businesses that, that they want to see, that they say, you know, young folks say, well, I can't do what I want to do in West Virginia. I have to go elsewhere. So that's a huge part also of, of why I do the work that I do. So the reason I went to that is, right before we take our next break is because I'm really proud of you that, that you come from working poor, working class people, and you got your education and now you're giving back to the community of which you love. And that's the state of West Virginia. So I, I'm, I take my hat off to you, wish I could have found a way of staying there and doing what you're doing. Uh, and I'm looking forward to working with you in the future, because that's what I want to do is how we can build up West Virginia. We're going to take our second break, and I want to come back and talk about more of the things that you did in that laboratory, some other examples besides the food uh, co-op. And we'll, we'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. We'll be right back to talk to Amanda uh, more about what's going on in West Virginia and her role in it. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Uh, we have Amanda Marple on the phone with us this morning from West Virginia University in Morgantown. This program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members. 
especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And Amanda, uh, NCB could be a great resource for you and the work you're doing because they, they look at financial services for low-income communities in almost all of West Virginia is low-income community, <laughs> okay? Uh, you say you find a lot of seniors in West Virginia are older population. That's because younger people move out and younger people leave <laughs> or die or go to jail, okay, because of all of this, so they're not in these productive spaces. So what we want to do and what you want to do is figure out how you can get more young folk uh, involved in this cooperative world and building back West Virginia. You know, Donald Trump said he was going to bring on some more coal jobs. Uh, I didn't. It hadn't happened, okay? I, it just hasn't happened. I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't believe in that when he said it, but I thought maybe. Nope. Three and a half, almost four years later, no more jobs, no more coal mining jobs. Mm -hmm. And if there were more coal mines that would open, they would be manned by machines, not by people. So the coal uh, world, and it would also hurt our environment if we did more coal. So that just that's a no starter. So you're doing some things. So what else in this learning lab besides the food initiative have you been working on? So. Really, the start of what this the, the community economies lab and, and all of the ethos and principles that the community economies lab is based on started from a student project, actually at West Virginia University um, called Fair Trade 2.0, which is now um, its own company outside of the university called Firsthand Cooperative. So um, I'm, I'm a co-founder of Firsthand Co-op. I was a student and a student organizer uh, with Fair Trade 2.0, uh, which was a student organization uh, that began to work with coffee farmers, uh, uh, cooperative coffee farmers in Nicaragua, to engage in, in conversations and international financial solidarity um, in, in building uh programs and, and supporting, um, you know, initiatives on coffee cooperatives um, that that folks who live there and produce there determined what those terms were. So um, that's really a, a big part of, of what the Community Economies Lab does. So we take those ethos from, from that project and, and the student passion from that as well and try to put that into, you know, what we do in the, in the Community Economies Lab. So from there, you know, we were involved in this cooperative kind of grocery project and program and, and thinking about how we do grocery and, and food access differently. Uh, we are also involved with folks in the Charleston area that are um, building, building co-ops and, and, and trying to really bridge the cooperative model and workforce together to think about what the possibility of workforce cooperatives looks like. How do you get folks again, like, you know, Vernon, you were saying, we have a lot of, of coal miners. We have a lot of coal miners that have, um, you know, lost their jobs because of the, the flight of industry and because of, you know, our need to transition away from extractive industries such as, such as this and, and the fossil fuel industry. Um, so, 
something that we're engaged in too is is supporting folks that are are working to build those bridges between workforce and cooperative models. Also working with folks that are building accounting cooperatives. Resolve Co-op is a is a is starting right now. It's based in Charleston, West Virginia. It's an accounting cooperative. So those are just a number of things that that we're engaged with in the community economies lab. Uh, and we're hoping that we become more and more involved in in those sort of projects and programs, just wanting to support the, you know, the landscape of cooperative and worker worker cooperative, particularly those sort of enterprises throughout the state. So let's talk about Resolve a minute. Mm-hmm. So I understand it's a an accounting cooperative because the reason I want to talk about it is because they're the Latina, five Latina ladies started a, a maid service, a cleaning service, and that back room stuff is, and this is in D.C., the back room stuff is where they were having difficulty. Mm-hmm. So um, does this Resolve Co-op look to work with other co-ops to provide their accounting services? Yes, that's exactly what it is. You know, in, in the cooperative world, we have to have co-op accountants and folks that are familiar with the ways that that co-ops operate financially. And one thing that Resolve is is wanting to do is really support other cooperatives and support the building of cooperative ecosystems as well. Accounting is just one part of an ecosystem that needs to be addressed when we're thinking about how do we build cooperatives um, that can be sustainable and long-term. So this is principle six, okay? Principle six is cooperation among co-ops. So if if Resolve could do accounting for this, and I don't remember their name, and they were in Adams Morgan area in in Washington D.C., and because of transportation and childcare, they were only doing things right right around their area. But if they grew, they might even be able to grow into West to you know all of D.C. and maybe Northern Virginia or Southern Maryland. So it could, it has a potential for growth, but the accounting, the backroom stuff is what's a bookkeeping more so than accounting. But if you think of accounting as doing the audits, but that bookkeeping uh, for, for companies and other co-ops is very, very, very much needed. So, yeah. So it's question is how do we get them involved in and merchandise marketing so that these other co-ops would know about it. Uh, are you familiar with the Capital Impact Conference coming up in October in D.C.? Yes, we we spoke about it briefly yesterday. I have not signed up for it, though, and I'm sure I should. But could you tell me a little bit more? Well, Capital Impact this year, which makes it great, is going to be online mm-hmm. so that anybody can do it. And it's a very small, maybe $50 fee or something where it was probably 250 before. When you go in, they have all of the, the additional costs. But you could go on their, their web page, uh, which is um, NCBA CLUSA, NCBA dot co-op, and you can get all of the information about it. So it is in October, I think the 5th through the 7th. I'm not exactly sure about those dates, but it would be a great way for Resolve to get involved, too, so that mm-hmm. they can tell other people about what they're doing and get into this whole world. That was what made me think about it right now, mm-hmm. that they could get into the whole world of cooperation to see, I mean, you can do a uh, the bookkeeping. They could do the bookkeeping for people in 
Africa or Nicaragua or, or anywhere because that can be all done online and then mm-hmm. email back and forth and all of this stuff. So, uh, and it's a much, much, much needed resource to be able to do that. And the other thing on October the 8th is online the induction of the four co-op Hall of Famers this year, the 2020 Cooperative Hall of Fame. That's normally done in like the May time frame, and it's a, normally a big dinner, $250 plate dinner, and people have to come in and all of the expenses of coming in and then buying the, you know, the reservation. This is going to be online this year. And the farmer, Ben Burkett uh, from Mississippi, is one of the inductees. And Everett Dobrinsky is another farmer. He was up in the western part. And Carmen Waitos Noble, I'd like for you to meet her. She's a phenomenal lady. She's Puerto Ricanian. She's a lawyer in in New York. She's inducted this year. I think John J. College, she has a center in their students are helping to create co-ops. And so you're knowing her and maybe working together, you all could figure out better ways of helping to start these co-ops. And Michael Mercer is the fourth person that's being inducted this year, and he's out of the credit union world. And these are very, very, very knowledgeable people. And one of the things I like about this cooperative world is uh, the fifth principle is education, knowledge, and information, and people share they don't hold back. I've not found anybody to hold back information. They share information, help each other. Huge heart for helping the world, helping the people, helping communities. So, And that is that seventh principle, and that's part of the value systems of co-ops. The main value system that I like, and I feel like I start preaching now, but the main value is the ethical values of honesty, <laughs> openness, social responsibility, caring, and caring for one another, the golden mm-hmm. rule, if you will. And that's people that are cooperators, that's that's what you find. That's what I have found in these seven years I've been doing this show and meeting all kinds of people up and down in the U.S. and internationally, and mm-hmm. I find the same same thing. So uh, if you could get Resolve uh, to get on NCBA uh, Clusa's webpage, and you'll see uh, – Scrolling down, you'll see Impact Conference, 2020 Impact Conference. And, it again, it's all online this year. Okay. So you've got Resolve. You've got – it wasn't Fair Trade, but you were working through Fair Trade. Um, yeah, it was firsthand. Firsthand. Right. I got online and I looked at your webpage. So that's firsthand.coop. Uh, you can get information about firsthand. And what I like about that, that student started it. You were a student when you helped to start that. That is neat. Are the students looking to start any other co-ops at Morgantown? So we are actually, my my, my co-owners, my, my co-worker owners and I are since moving it off campus because it it became too large to be a student organization any longer. You know, we're, we're looking at ways to integrate that back into our, um, you know, educational components that we do with young folks on campus of, of how do we introduce folks into the cooperative model. Firsthand has been capitalized enough that we can, we also have funding for, for students to be able to explore, to buy materials, and to provide stipends for folks as well. So, can I, can I, Wait a minute, I'm sorry, I'm sorry when I butt in here, but you're saying 
Okay, so 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 the third principle I think it is is that you put money in to join, and then you all get money out when you make a profit. So I'm hearing you say when you say capitalize, I understand that to mean that you are making a profit now, and you get to decide what to do with that profit. And so those members decide to give scholarships to students. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah, they can. We can do that. So we. Um so what we do as an organization is that we redistribute wealth from any uh, any money that's made uh, through our coffee purchases. So worker owners decide on how to spend that money. And what we are committed to is uh, we commit at least $6,000 a year to go to the working world Nicaragua that goes back to Nicaraguan coffee producing, coffee producing regions. And then we also, as worker owners, you know, come together and decide how we redistribute funds throughout West Virginia as well. So some of our funds have gone to students. Uh, most of our funds go to cooperative organizations or um, Conscious Harvest Cooperative is, is a group that we funded last year. Uh, we have also funded a number of groups that are doing food-related work throughout West Virginia. And the Cooperative Food Empowerment Directive, or COFED, that we've been funding for the last couple of years out of profits that we've raised. They're a national organization that works with young folks to develop cooperative businesses and to also do a lot of, you know, work on anti-oppression and anti-racism within cooperative organizations as well. So they're a wonderful organization. If, if folks who are listening in today haven't heard of them, I would encourage you all to check out COFED. So, you know their webpage? You know their webpage? Uh, it's cofed.org. Okay. And they are actually just, just getting ready to run uh, their virtual co-op academy in this, in this fall. I believe they changed the name of, of what that um, program is. But, again, I would highly encourage folks to check them out. So, yeah, so that's what we do with First Hand. We, we sell coffee and we redistribute the profits that we make from that to other cooperative organizations or organizations that are doing social and economic justice um, programming or organizing. And one way that we're able to do that, too, is as a student, we were able to um, pressure WVU to start purchasing our coffee. So Fantastic. Um, we got we got to stop there. We'll come back to that. And I'll come back to you all getting the university to purchase your coffee and other things that you're able to do. But then in this last segment, I want to talk more. You talked about anti-racism, but the George Floyd murder and things that you're doing for anti-racism and also how to overcome COVID-19. Anything you can see the co-op world and what we can do in, in West Virginia to overcome COVID-19. So we'll be right back, everybody. Uh, please don't touch that dial. And we'll be back with Amanda Marple from West Virginia University. Welcome back, everybody. The program is Everything Co-op. My name is Vernon Oaks, and we have Amanda Marple, who's the Education and Outreach Program Director at WVU, West Virginia University's Center for Resilient Communities. Amanda, it's great talking to you today. You were talking about getting the university to buy buy the food, and so far we've talked about of the seven principles. We've talked about the first principle: it's open, voluntary and open membership. We've talked about member democratic member control, one member, one vote, and member economic participation. You may have to 
pay something to get in, and then you get either to get a dividend out or that profit, you decide what to do with it. The fourth principle is autonomy and independence. You have to have control. Education, training, information we talked about, which is the fifth principle, which is the first reason I started loving co-ops, and then the cooperation among co-ops, the sixth principle, and concern for communities. So we've hit the the seven principles of co-op. And if an organization is a co-op, it runs by these principles. And if it's not running by these principles, I say and declare it's not a co-op. So tell us how you were able to get the university to buy the the coffee from the co-op and what other places have you been able to sell the coffee to? What institutions? Yeah, so it took a lot of student organizing. It took a lot of, of students um, being out there talking with their peers and demanding accountability from their university as well. And that, you know, that the, the coffee company, um, the coffee was being, you know, sourced and sold by students. So the messaging was, this is a student coffee brand. And as a university, you should be supporting your students. We were able to get into, they gave us two pilot coffee shops. Uh, we were able to take take over from another well-known coffee brand on campus. And we were able to actually, you know, from, from student feedback, the coffee was better. The prices for the university were better. After those two coffee shops, they gave us eight coffee shops on campus, which then made the organization explode. So at that time, we were like, okay, so we as students who, you know, at that time, I had, you know, three jobs, and I was organizing with students, and I was a full-time student as well. So it was like, okay, so how do, how does this work as a student organization? Do we need to move it off campus? So at that time, because we were receiving, you know, significant amounts of money, we had to incorporate off, off campus. And you know, through that and, and brand recognition on campus, um, our, our local co-op had supported us even before that. So we were in um, at Mountain People's Co-op long before we were at the university. You know, a couple of coffee shops throughout the state of West Virginia had also started using firsthand coffee. And uh, most recently, we just started a partnership with the Turner Appalachia Farm Collective that is a producer cooperative in, in the southern part of the state to distribute coffee through their online markets and through their pop-up markets as well. Um, so, you know, we're, we're in a number of spots here, but the university contract and, and the organizing of students on campus was what really launched firsthand into its next phase of being able to really, you know, raise and redistribute wealth back to our, you know, folks that we're responsible to, that we're responsive to, whether that be in Nicaragua or in West Virginia. How many member owners do you have? At this time, we have three member owners. Okay. And then do you hire uh, people to work those eight co-ops, those eight spaces? We have, we have in the past, but um, we are mostly online now when we are a brand. We've been able to automate our coffee selling online and with the university with our roasting partner to where um, our worker, our worker owners right now mostly do sweat equity and volunteer time to manage that. And then we redistribute profits that come from that. So 
all of our worker members have other full-time jobs. And this is a way for us to also raise money through cooperation and through cooperative enterprise to redistribute back into the cooperative economy and the cooperative landscape. And what we're trying to do now is since we have moved off of campus, we're trying to reincorporate that student spirit back into it and allow and, and get students to participate and to determine where they want funds to go. Do they want funds for a startup co-op in Morgantown? Is that something that they want to see? Do they want to redistribute funds to an organization that is working on, you know, addressing the school-to-prison pipeline? Uh, do students want to redirect those funds to organizations that are doing food justice work? So that is something, that's a nut that we're trying to crack right now. And especially in times of COVID, you know, really trying to work around how do we get students to participate virtually as well as this was, this started as a student organization and it started with youth. How do we then reestablish that as, you know, the, the core of what we do? I was a student in, the organi- in that organization and I was a student founder. I was a student through most of this, that time that First Hand has been you know, operating. And that's something that I'm really interested in. Again, like, how do we establish this, reestablish this as an ability for young folks to take hold of it and then create futures and create businesses that they want to see? So how could you use some of those funds to create student cooperative housing? We absolutely could. Yeah, we absolutely could. In doing that, um, are you familiar with Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nimhard's book, Collective Carriage? Absolutely. It is on my work desk always. So in her book, she talks about at Bluefield State, where I graduated from, there was a co-op where the students uh, ran the bookstore, owned and ran the bookstore. And then they took that money back and gave scholarships. And she says it was disbanded. I was wondering why. Uh, But she doesn't say. But it's like, could, could West Virginia U get students in other universities and college within West Virginia first and maybe make it national? And could you do yeah. the um, uh, co-op housing and, and all of that? Okay. Check out NASCO. I think uh, it's a great organization, too, of students and student housing, National North America Cooperative Housing Association, something like that. It's a great group. We only have a couple minutes left. What would you like to leave people with? What What messages would you like to leave people with? Or message. Oh, my. I have so much to say, but I will try to condense that. Okay, Michael um, Beck. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, with just a few minutes have left, you know, I just, I want to say thank you for the opportunity, Vernon. This has been an incredible experience to, to meet you and, and to chat with you. But also, I want to, I just want to leave with, um, you know, West Virginia is a very rural state. West Virginia has been a state that has been extracted from. And as we're talking about what a just transformation looks like, what does the just transformation look like? I think that cooperatives need to be included in that conversation, not only for the sake of our environment, but also for the sake of people that live um, in rural communities and for the sake of, of building equitable, just, and dignified um jobs, workplaces, and communities for folks. So I see cooperatives as being a huge part of what we're talking about in a conversation around an Appalachian just transition. And rural folks um, can do co-ops 
too. Uh, there's cooperation happening in rural places, and I think that we also need to include that in a conversation around cooperatives nationally. The Department of Agriculture knows more about co-ops than anybody else because of farming. Both, mm-hmm. uh, you, you mentioned producer co-ops there, the purchasing co-ops and marketing or producing co-ops on both ends of farms. And so that could be a, also a source of resources for you to look at them, department, because they, that's all rural. I mean, that's what they do yeah. is on the rural side. And they have monies for uh, creating co-ops in rural communities. I could love talking to you some more. I'd love yeah. to have you on uh, to get more into the different uh, co-ops that you're developing. And everybody else out there, I really hope that you have a great week and live cooperatively. And Amanda, thank you so very much for your time. See ya.